Let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, Lord, we give you thanks as you welcome us into your presence once again. Lord, as we hear those words that Jesus spoke to the disciples, we ask that you use them to transform our hearts and our minds as you call us to follow you, not knowing where you will lead us, but trusting that you are always with us, that you are working in us to build your kingdom here on earth, that together you've called us to build and strengthen your kingdom here on earth so that one day all people can experience it together in your presence forever and ever. This we ask and pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people we read and said together. Amen. What comes next? This is a question uh, that I've been asking myself quite a bit over the last week, especially since uh, last Sunday. Uh, and it's part of the reason because uh, Pastor Mark preached last week about the baptism of Jesus. And uh, in case you haven't heard that message, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. Uh, I had to hear it three times, though not necessarily by choice, but it was great uh, every time. And uh, in his message, uh, one of the things he talked about was the immense significance of baptism, both uh, in the context of our lives and how it relates to the baptism of Jesus, and, of course, the significance of our own baptism. And uh, that got me thinking quite a bit about my own baptism. And recently, uh, my wife, Lauren, and I moved into our new home, and in that process, we went through boxes and boxes of stuff that we had in our house. And uh, as we went through those boxes, we came across a box that my mom had given to us about four and a half years ago uh, from when we first moved here. And in that box, there were old uh, toys and clothes and just all kinds of things. And my mom said, you know what, I want to let you decide what you want to keep and what you want to get rid of. And in the midst of that box, there was a, a t-shirt-sized box that I didn't know what was inside. And so Lauren opens it up, looks at it, and it's kind of like, what is this? And I looked at it, and there was my baptismal certificate along with the clothes I wore at my baptism. And I looked at Lauren, and I was like, this is awesome. As if I had been diligently searching for it and finally found what I was looking for. But of course, that wasn't the case at all. I had actually stumbled upon it because we were trying to find things to get rid of before moving into the new house. And it struck me that both in the context of Pastor Mark's sermon and my own reflection, that uh, that is kind of how it is for us in our own lives when we think about baptism. Uh, usually, uh, unless we hear about baptism in a sermon or read it in scripture or see one in worship, it's not exactly at the forefront of our minds. But then a moment comes and, and it's brought to the forefront of our minds and the only thing we can say to ourselves is, this is awesome. It's, as Pastor Mark said in his message last week, uh, for most of us, our baptism is a day that we do not remember, but one that we will never forget. And so as I reflected on those words and, and thought about my own uh, baptism, I began to ask myself that question, what comes next? Because uh, the reality is baptism is just the beginning. Baptism is just the beginning of our new life in Jesus and all that comes with this new life. So what is this new life all about? And what exactly about it is new? Uh, this morning, those are the questions I want to explore. And in doing so, we're going to answer that question, what comes next? And to do that, I thought it would be helpful and insightful for us to perhaps look first at the life of Jesus. What comes next in his life after his baptism. And that's what we hear in the story that you just heard from the Gospel of Mark. And uh, one of the things I always like to point out every time we read from Mark is that uh, Mark isn't exactly a man of many words. 
If you compare Mark's gospel to uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, Matthew, Luke, and John, the other gospel writers, you'll notice that Mark's gospel is shorter by about five chapters compared to the next one. And part of the reason is because Mark tells the story of Jesus in a very succinct way. I jokingly like to say that uh, Lauren's favorite gospeler would be Mark because uh, Mark is short, sweet, and to the point. And uh, one of the things you all know about me by now is that I have never and will never tell a story that is short, sweet, and to the point. Nonetheless, uh, the reason Mark likes to kind of keep things going is he likes to keep his story moving. He gives us all the action, tells us everything we need to know, and moves from one thing to the next. And you see this just in the first 20 verses of Mark's gospel. Uh, In the first 20 verses, Mark covers quite a bit of the life of Jesus. In fact, he covers the entire birth of Jesus in just one verse, one sentence. The beginning of his gospel, verse 1 says, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the birth of Jesus right there. And then he jumps into these next five stories. He covers the proclamation of John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, the temptation in the wilderness, the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and the calling of the first disciples. All of that in just 20 verses. And for our sake today, we're just going to focus on those last two in the context of what comes next. So after being in the wilderness and enduring temptation, Jesus heads back out of the wilderness and into the city of Galilee. Now, uh, as we've heard in stories before, John the Baptist was the one sent before Jesus, preparing the way for him to come and begin his ministry. Well, when Jesus arrives on the scene in Galilee, one of the things he learns is that John has recently been put into prison. And John was imprisoned because he was speaking out against the king's uh, unlawful marriage. And so uh, because John is in prison, it's kind of fitting that Jesus arrives on the scene to continue the ministry that John has kind of set before him. And so Jesus arrives and he kind of starts to share that same message that John was once telling the people. He says to them, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And in saying these words, Jesus is both fulfilling what John prophesied about him and fulfilling what God had planned for Jesus. And notice specifically the words that Jesus says to the people, what is going to happen? Repent and believe in the good news. This call to repentance is just the first sign that we see that the message of Jesus is a message about the mercy of God. That uh, Jesus, in telling the people to repent, is inviting them to experience God's mercy so that when they repent, they then experience his grace. Jesus does not want the people to experience God's wrath, so he invites them first to get the mercy so that they can receive the grace. And when they do that, they believe in this good news, they begin to see that the good news then is something they are invited to believe in as well. That uh, the good news is that the Messiah has come, God has sent the Messiah for the people and sent him to be with them. The kingdom of God has come near, right? And so the people hear this good news that of course is good for all people. And then Mark quickly moves on to the next scene. This one now finds Jesus continuing to do his ministry, continue to proclaim that word as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. And because he's walking alongside the sea, he sees fishermen out on their boats doing their fishing things. And he actually sees two sets of brothers. And the first set that he sees is Simon and Andrew. And then a little while later, he sees James and John. And he calls all four brothers. He says the same thing to both sets. Follow me. And I will make you fish for people. 
Now, uh, of course, immediately what happens is the disciples leave everything behind and they go and they follow Jesus. I love, in fact, Mark's detail that he adds those words, immediately they drop their nets and they go and follow Jesus, not even thinking perhaps about anything else that is going on. And I would like to believe that at least one of them, as they left their boats in the water that day, thought to themselves, well, what comes next? So how many times have you asked that question in your own life? What comes next? Usually, I think that's a question we ask of our own lives or of ourselves when, when big moments happen, kind of like what happened for the disciples here. Uh, perhaps that was asked of you when you graduated high school or you moved on from college. People began to ask you, well, what comes next? Or uh, maybe after you got married or you bought your first home or maybe you had your first child or you, you moved away from your family, started your, your first adult job, and people began to ask you, well, okay, what comes next? Or uh, maybe you're kind of on the back end of your work life and you're looking forward to the days where you say the work will stop, that, that word called retirement. And people are always asking you, okay, well, what comes next? In the midst of asking that question in so many moments of our lives, the reality is sometimes we have a really clear and straightforward answer and other times we have no idea even what to say, much less what to tell other people. And yet in the context of our faith, the reality is we do have an answer to that question. In fact, in Mark's gospel, we're, we're given kind of a roadmap to the reality of what comes next when it comes to following Jesus. See, because in the context of our faith, uh, we are given this, this idea, and Jesus tells us kind of three different ways, three different things that are going to happen to us and what it looks like to follow him. For the disciples, it started with when Jesus first called out to them. But for me and you, it starts after we are baptized. And so we're answering this question, what comes next? And in a way that I like to think about it is, what comes next in our life after baptism? And so the first thing that happens is that we leave everything behind. When the disciples heard Jesus calling out to them, clearly something about him was different to them. Now, uh, I think when we read this story, we probably say to ourselves, well, if I saw Jesus calling out, I would obviously have dropped everything too to go and follow him. But that's because we have the perspective of knowing how the rest of the story goes, right? They didn't have that this first time. They are going out. And so when you're seeing this for the first time, it's like, I can't believe they left everything behind. All the years of work that they put into to their boats, to their nets, uh, they just dropped it all. Two, two of them, James and John, left their father in the boat with other hired fishermen to go and follow Jesus. Everything left behind just to go and follow him. Clearly, something about him was different, and their lives were about to begin anew. And then uh, this is kind of where we see this baptismal connection. In, in, in his writing, St. Paul says this about baptism. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. And in other writings, he says, Behold, the old has gone away, and behold, the new has come. In your baptism, part of you died. Your original sin was killed, and so there was your life before faith in Jesus, and now there is your life after faith in Jesus. Because when you came up out of the water, you were born again, you were made new. Therefore, uh, you were called to leave everything else in your old life behind you, to just leave it all behind, to not look back, and to simply follow 
Jesus. And once you know Jesus, once you begin to follow him, once the Spirit works in your heart to begin that gift of faith, your life will never be the same. Because once you know Jesus, you know that you are never stuck in your old ways. Once you know Jesus, you know that there is always hope for tomorrow. Once you know Jesus, you know that he is constantly present and working in your life to make you new. And so through this work that Jesus is doing as we experience these realities, it's kind of taking us to the next part of this roadmap, the the second phase for us. And that is following Jesus and learning to live like him. See, uh, one of the struggles that we get into here is that even though we've left our old life behind us, even though uh, we have turned our backs on that old life, every once in a while, it comes calling back. And every once in a while, we want to turn back towards it. We want to walk back into that old life. We want to deal and dabble in the ways of our past. We look back on on those times and we think to ourselves, well, it's okay if I just go back for a little while. And that is the reality of of what sin and temptation do to us. They try to pull us back into old habits, try to pull us back into old ways and old things. And even sometimes we convince ourselves that that it's okay. That the reality is we're, we're in the midst of this struggle, this constant daily struggle against sin. But even our struggle against sin is different because we know Jesus. Because as followers of Jesus, we know that when we fall into sin, sin is never the end. That sin does not have the last word. That as scripture teaches us, when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just. He is going to forgive us from all our sin and cleanse us once again to make us new. So when you go back and you repent, God is waiting for you. God is inviting you to experience his mercy and his grace and his love. So following Jesus is is not meant to be a perfect solution. Instead, it's meant to be a lifelong resolution. It's meant to be something that we are journeying on, something that we are trying to do. And some days, it will look really easy. Some days, it'll be easy to to love your neighbor, to, to care for those who are in need. Perhaps like this past weekend, when You went outside and and you shoveled your driveway and your sidewalk and you looked and you're seeing that the neighbor didn't get out yet and so you took your shovel and you went and did the same thing for them so that when they woke up in the morning, it was clear. And then there will be those days where it's hard to love your neighbor. It's hard to care for those in need. Where there's a part of you that feels like you need to only focus on yourself. And there's a bit of a struggle here because maybe it happened this past weekend when you walked outside and after clearing your yard, you looked at your neighbor's sidewalk and you thought, yeah, they'll get to it, soon. And you walked away, right? And, and in those moments, the reality is sometimes it takes all of our energy and effort and everything we have to care for others, and somehow we still end up falling short. We fail at, at doing what Jesus has called us to do, and yet he still says, come and follow me. He still invites us to learn what it's like to live like him, to follow him along the way so that we experience his mercy and his grace, the forgiveness that he invites me and you into through this new life. That that following Jesus is a reminder that we may not know where he is leading us, but we can trust that he is always with us. And from that, then, we we begin kind of into this, this third path on this roadway that Jesus has laid out for us. And what that looks like is inviting others to join you. 
That when Jesus calls the disciples, he tells them to follow him because he is going to have them fish for people. And so following Jesus is a reminder that Jesus is always with you, but he wants others to be with you too. That Jesus doesn't want you to be alone on this journey of following him, but this is something people are supposed to do together. That's why living this new life includes inviting others to join you. Because a life with Jesus is meant to be experienced with others. It's meant to be experienced in a community of people like the one we have here, where you can look down the roads and simply see that you are not alone in following Jesus, which means you are not alone in your struggles and you are not alone in your joys, that there are people with you working every day alongside you to follow him. And the beauty of this is that when, when you not only get to look at this community, but when you invite others to follow you, you get to tell them about all the things you experience in Jesus. You get to share how your life has been changed because of Jesus. You get to tell people about the mercy and the grace, the forgiveness and the hope, the joy and the love, all the ways that your life has changed because of Jesus. And you get to tell others that their life can change too. That this is the same Jesus who steps into our lives to change everything about them, and he is waiting for more and more people to come and follow him. And you can be honest with those people, and you can tell them that you are not going to do it perfectly, and that they are not going to do it perfectly, that you're both going to mess up, and that you need them so that they can help you when you mess up, and that you can help them when they mess up. Because though you may not be able to do this journey alone, together this is possible because of Jesus. That following him is something that we do as a community of people because that is how he builds his kingdom, through me and you. You know, uh, over this past weekend, my family was in town and visited uh, my parents, my brother and sister-in-law, and their two kids. And on Thursday, we celebrated my niece's ninth baptismal birthday. And uh, I started to reflect on what that day was like nine years ago. In fact, the weather was pretty similar to what we had this past weekend. And uh, I had been staying about 20 minutes away the night before the baptism. When I woke up in the morning, I was getting to, I was leaving my friend's house, walking across the street. And as soon as I hit the street, I slid on my back to my car because that's how much ice was on the road. And when I got into my car, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to make it that there's no way I'm going to be able to make this trip in all this weather and not knowing what else was coming next. And I sat there and I just wondered. I even cried while I drove. But by God's grace, I did make it that day. And I remember what it was like to watch as I saw my niece receive her new life in Christ. And as we celebrated this past weekend, I thought to myself about all the times in her life that she is going to wonder what comes next. And there are so many times that I am going to say I have no clue. But even in those moments, I can tell her that there is comfort in knowing that Jesus has already worked it out. That she is one of his beloved children. That he is always with her. That even in just the smallest of ways, she is a beloved child of God and I get to invite her to join the rest of us in building the kingdom that God has put here for us on earth. And that same good news that I get to share with her is the good news I get to share with you. That Jesus loves you. 
that you are one of his beloved children whom he has called by name, that he invites you to come and follow him, that your life is different because of him, that your gifts, the promises that he pours out to you are yours in him, and that following him is going to change your life forever. And together, we get to hang on to this this beautiful reality, all these promises, and know this incredibly powerful truth, that the kingdom of God is built on people coming together to follow Jesus, to build and strengthen what God is already doing in the world around us through Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we continue in worship, I invite you to stand as you are able.